Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, the one-stop shop deep diver. We discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Patrick Pentland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, what were you up to in 2011, man? Is our topic today your first Sloan release experienced abroad? Uh, I When did Hit and Run come out in 2009? Yeah. Was that was summer? 2009. Yeah, was yeah. it summer of 09? So I might have been here for Hit and Run, but it's the first studio LP that I uh, experienced abroad. So I feel as though I missed a lot of the fanfare. And, uh, you know, it's interesting looking back at this after 10 years. We've got the triple cross happening right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Danny Brown. It, we, <laughs> we've, already, we've already talked about the single cross, which is technically pretty together. Um, and we've kind of delved into the, I'm not sure if there's a nil cross for, for smeared. I've been really looking forward to digging into the double cross this year because I feel as though it's one of those albums that kind of gets overlooked looking back on the monumental catalog of this band. Totally. Yeah. We just uh, passed the uh, 10 year anniversary a couple months ago uh, in 2011 we've chatted about it a little bit on the show but i was blessed to go ha- have the opportunity of a lifetime and the band that i was in at the time kind of did a short run with the guys we, we opened for them crazy insane uh and there was one of the dates uh, june 25th 2011 i was running the merch table temporarily for jay coil who i think was either getting a drink or doing something at the auto bar in baltimore maryland and i met two massively enthusiastic dudes one was named chris the other was aaron speaking of aaron that exact same dude is once again with us today so please join me in welcoming back to sloan cast super guest mr aaron pinto aaron number one how you doing and what was it like meeting me <laughs> well, I'm I'm always great to uh it's always great for me to be on on Sloancast. This is uh I think I say this every episode, but uh, normally I'm just talking about Sloan to a to a wall. So if you guys <laughs> ask me to to uh join, it's like cause it's being recorded, so it's a it's a positive thing. Uh, You're always welcome. You, thank you. Well, thank you. Meeting you, uh it was great because we <laughs> me and my me, me and my buddy Chris, we who I talked about, uh, you know, for my first episode of Sloancast, check it out. Um, no, but we um, we were so excited, but we only bounced Sloan off each other. We thought for like mm. two months or something because we had just discovered them for to to reiterate, and uh, we were just bouncing Sloan off each other. And it was like we were the only two people in the world who knew about them because you couldn't, you know, especially in in uh, Balt- uh, the college we went to in Baltimore, you know, you couldn't just walk up to somebody on the quad and be like, Hey, do you, you know, the new Sloan album coming out. Like, yeah, <laughs> you'd, you'd be lucky if they knew, uh, you know, the new Weezer album was coming out, let alone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. But, um, you know, so we were so ex- excited, you know, the, it was, we we're going to meet people who knew this band and Robbie was the perfect person to meet because you knew every, you knew everything. You had answers to all our questions. And, uh, it was, you know, so, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's where I, I, I join, I come onto the Sloan train around this time. So it's always a special, uh, uh, time and album for me. So I'm glad to be here. Awesome, man. No pun pun intended. Why don't we just jump right into it here? The Double Cross released May 10th, 2011. This is Sloan's 10th release. Uh, The obvious nod uh, with the Roman numerals to 20, which is at the time their 20th anniversary as a band, uh, which is obviously the XX. Um, Also, you know, in hardcore culture, the two X's on the hands, you know, there's a little bit of a straight edge thing. We were talking about that uh, last episode with Greg, Mm. the hardcore Mm. episode. Um, Other than that, I'm kind of stretching for other... uh, 
examples of, you know, tie-ins and double meanings and things. So uh, obviously the insert of the album has the guys um, uh, standing at a crosswalk. I want to say this is on Lansdowne in Toronto between uh, college and, or sorry, between Bloor and college uh, for anybody who was wanting to go find it. Um, But there are two X's above the road. Uh, It's like a crossing, obviously. And the guys are standing in the middle of the road. And I want to say that this nod was, uh, inspired by the scott pilgrim movie which had come out probably within this year chris had been working on it the previous year probably around the same time they were recording the record and in that movie the x's signify the seven deadly x's of ramona flowers and scott pilgrim has to obviously defeat them all and there's a couple of scenes in the movie where x's are kind of hidden throughout the scene and one of them he's crossing a street in toronto and it's got you know the two x's on the above the street and there's an x on this sign and x over here anyway blah 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 so other than that, do we have any other uh, X's or double cross, double meanings, anything like that that you guys can think of? I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I happen to have uh, this, the CD, the uh, Digipack out in front of me. And what you're referring to is a vinyl exclusive. I don't, I, okay. the vinyls, I, I don't have, oh, I have the vinyl in another room, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking through the booklet and I know the picture you're talking about, but uh, yeah, it's on, not in the CD. So if you're playing at home, you got to bust out the vinyl. There it is. Rob's holding it up. Uh, yeah, I'll but, post this to Instagram when the when the show comes out, just so we can see it. Yeah, it appears yeah. to be a special edition vinyl exclusive as well. It's not in the normal sort of plebiscite vinyl that I've got. I'm starting to think that I'm the uh, that I'm the only person who has this photo. Um, so maybe it was. Uh, oh yeah, I thought it was in. I thought it was in the regular edition. Huh? I was looking <laughs> through each of the little small like. Uh, instagram style square photos on that on that mosaic to try to find yeah. what you're talking about and i couldn't so boy oh boy uh, okay Rob well one ups us again <laughs> i'll i'll definitely post it to the gram when we uh, post the show so everybody can follow along but yeah it's not a mosaic either huh weird yeah and this is also as we spoke with uh, gregory a couple episodes ago the first album where gregory mcdonald is sort of a, a more of a force in the studio he's kind of a mm. He has a production credit here. He's, you know, all over all the songs. He's listed as playing drums. It's quite clear, at least from the episode with him, that he was probably somewhat part of the writing process and some, you know, a mm. bit of an inspiration in some uh, instances, perhaps. Um, so he's he's a major collaborator here. Um, and he's, like I said, listed as a producer along with Ryan Hazlitt in the band. So that's a first. Because um, I think on Parallel Play, he seems to have just kind of come in and sort of helped out. He's obviously singing mm. and that kind of thing. But he's, he's a major player by this point. I was just going to say, uh, to to go back to the, to the question of uh, are there any other um, double cross references in within the title um one thing that's probably going to come up a lot in this episode is uh basically sloan made these or uh, sloan and Catherine stockhausen made these videos uh for their 20th anniversary there's there's a set of videos that has a bunch of uh you know guests musicians uh jason schwartzman's in it jason faulkner's in it uh who else is in it? Uh, Anybody named Jason is in it. Like, there's a exclusive. <laughs> <of, laughs> so, um, there's that set of videos where where diff- different people will talk about what Sloan means to them, their favorite song, right. favorite album, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole another set of videos which uh, would would be essential viewing to go along with this episode, where each uh, member talks for like a minute or so about their song on the album. Mm-hmm. They, they do every song on the album, and there's a little um, EPK. Uh, video where they tie it all you know together anyway in that video uh murphy does uh reference 
liking the t- title because there's some double crossing going on between mm-hmm. the band members tongue sure tongue, right. itself, tongue in cheek so that's uh, <laughs> a long way of saying that. that's just one other uh element to the title which is you know they always have it, with any Sloan album there's always multiple meanings with the titles sure. You got to uh, read through them. Like somebody Cause... steals somebody's song idea and sticks it in as the bridge in their song. Yeah. Right. I don't know right. if that's really double crossing somebody or nor- you're tipping your hat, but anyway, whatever. Well, we can get to laying solo in a minute, but um, <laughs> there's, you know, it, it, continuing the great tradition of dupla entendres uh, mm. for, for Sloan albums, right? I mean, Parallel Play, they're just coming off of Parallel Play and Hit and Run, which are probably two of the finest examples of that. And you kind yeah. of have to be in the know about the bands to really get it, but it's still an appealing album title, regardless of whether you know the inside joke or not. I'm really yeah. crossing my fingers for the 13th album to be either a lyrical reference, a la one chord to another, or mm. just a smart-ass title. Uh, so keep my fingers right. crossed, and my toes, and my eyes. Right. Evil Sloan be like 13 under a good sign. <laughs> Topical. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> meme culture. So yeah, anyway, if you guys don't have any other preamble, why don't we just jump right into the first song? Because I kind of feel like this is going to become a three-parter if we don't just start hitting these tracks. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I'm well, sure a ton sure. of other stuff will come up. Right from the get-go on this album, I think it becomes apparent why this album is sort of different from the rest of the catalog. The production sound happening here is a sound that we don't, and we talked about this before, hmm. Rob, that we don't have on parallel play i think it maybe mimics the production qualities of commonwealth a little bit better and i i would claim that this is the beginning of the contemporary sound of sloan in many ways that this is sort of the turning point in how they handle instrumentation and how they handle studio techniques and in how they handle uh production greg's fingerprints are all over this thing like we talked about this in the in the greg interview uh the use of keys uh the the use of backing vocals super complex backing harmonies Mm. uh things that they couldn't have achieved uh, as a foursome or basically as four guys doing their own songs in the studio and that's apparent for me right off the bat in follow the leader so you get this introduction with the with the the drum uh the drum pattern that we talked about which is greg on his like cheap which we just learned about that's greg playing that drum intro crazy but even just like the first thing you hear is this organ riff, this sort of Hammond, or- Hammond organ riff, right? And that's, right. again, a, an element that binds. Oh. Um, yeah, this is just a great opener. It's a perfect album opener. Uh, you know, Ken and I were talking about that earlier. Um, I love this live, too. I remember on the tour seeing it a bunch. And they came out, I, as I recall, Aaron, you might be able to corroborate, to the drum intro. Like it was like a repeated drum intro. They yeah. walked out to that. And then they started playing over the recorded drum intro. And then when the song kind of kicks in, bow, 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 then Andrew actually plays drums and the whole band kicks in. Just a fantastic musical moment. And mm. it might be like of the Sloan shows that I've seen, like my favorite intro song like you know instead of just walking out to a song they're walking out to their own song and then playing it and then kind of you know uh and then the the triple whammy i mean we'll obviously get to these next two songs in a second because the because the first three songs obviously blend and transition together Mm. um seeing that live uh you know greg had gregory mcdonald had previously talked about playing you know um 
48 portraits and you know that you're not going to be able to move or take a drink of water for like, you know, 18, 19 minutes, these three songs together, this is like gotta be like, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes of music. So Mm -hmm. very impressive, very cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I just love how it comes across live. And this also, I would file this. This is another example, another song that I would file under. How the hell is Chris humanly able to play this bass part and sing at the same time? It's insane. It's it's so. I mean, he's he's been on record that it's his favorite bass part that he's done, and rightfully so. I mean, like, um, is it, does it need does medicine? It, That's the question. Does it need medicine? Oh, the age-old question, Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need medicine because it is in fact so sick and the answer is it does it's maybe and i I, would agree, I might agree with murphy if i had to do uh my top 10 baseline because this is i mean it's it's essentially you you could argue that some parts go along with the vocal melody but he's really it's like he's singing one melody and playing mm. completely different on bass which yeah. is the hardest thing to do um and and it, it, it like the when it comes in when the bass comes in um it just adds another layer to it because you're already so excited like rob's right it's such a good opening track and it's so was uh, such a good opening track live but mm-hmm. um the, it's so powerful like i can't like even though you know the even though flying high again opens up you know that that's a opens up on a big powerful note there's just yeah. something about it's this is like one of the most raw openings in a, in a way, like even, even compared to the good and everyone, um, this is maybe not raw, but can, you know, maybe good and everyone is more raw, but this, but follow the leader is so like, so powerful. It gets you so psyched oh. up, you know, like it, there's a scrappiness uh, to it. There's a scrappiness to it, especially the drums for, for sure. You know, like, right. and in the Gregory episode, I, I don't remember if, if he, if he said this is, what made that final version of it, but it didn't, he say they were running the drums through a big muff pedal. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was going through Patrick's pickup or something like that. And that's how they got that sound. It, it, um, it like, you know, uh, for people who don't know what that pedal is, it's a fuzz pedal. So it gives that drums, the distorted kind of sound. And it's, it's like, it has, you know, Sloan, obviously uh, Motown is an inf- influence on Sloan, but all the way back sure. to, keep on thinking and then jay uh you know if i could change your mind this this has a motown it's the mo it's a motown beat and, and it, mm-hmm. so it's got that excitement baked into it but it's like punk motown because of the distorted nature of it you know it's like mm-hmm. it's like this is um it, it's it's so exciting and i can only imagine what it what it was like for you guys because like for me I was just getting into the band. And so this was just another album to get into it. It had just come out. So like, I can only imagine like hearing it blast out of the speakers. Like when you're first hearing the album, it's like, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's completely different territory for them, but um, you know, it's, it's fresh, you know? Yeah, it is for sure. It is for sure. New territory for them. Like this, it does, it was my first impression of the album. I didn't have any of the teasers, any of the teaser content. I wasn't really super proactively um, following what was happening on social media at this point in time because I was just really wrapped up in my life here. Um, yeah. So my first impression of the album was hearing the album for the first time. Hmm. Uh, and you get that give me that effect. It's yeah. for me <laughs> on the same on the same plateau as give me that in terms of you don't have it 
opening track, like give me that in the rest of the catalog. She says what she means is close for sure. Sure. Right. For sure. Um, So it's, you know, three great, three great Chris openers right there. It's a song that also just not just musically, because musically it's interesting because you have this tension that's building up throughout the song with this use of sort of cascading additive instrumentation and backing vocals which is also an element that we'll see throughout the album but it's also some of my favorite chris lyrics like he's got the kind of point counterpoint wit of who loves life more which is also in my opinion one of the true hidden gems in the in in the catalog sure. um but is this really and this is something we can also talk about in other tracks there's a you know, this is a really affirmative song and it's a very uh it's a song that makes a very clear point but it's also there's so much melancholy and so much unrest happening throughout this album it's really interesting to have this sort of juxtaposition between positive affirmative music or even just sort of confident uh strutting type of music and then this really interesting inner unrest whether it be through the lyrical content or some of the musical content later yeah totally yeah speaking of lyrics i mean like that last uh little breakdown like don't let them it's like so powerful i love those lyrics Mm -hmm. um um, but yeah i recall greg talking too while we're on the subject of just sort of the overall breakdown of the song i remember him mentioning that the song didn't originally have that kind of motown strut to it that it maybe had like a i want to say even a swing to it originally or had some sort of other Mm -hmm. configuration so i mean i guess we'll probably hear that on the uh double cross re-release box set in what would that be 2031 (laughs) yeah but uh anyway i'm i would be so curious to hear what this song sounded like previously because it sounds like one that was really polished up and you know was close to maybe not making the cut uh, originally according to Greg. yeah to think that that was almost canned is like unthinkable <laughs> it's unbelievable right. um and and i got it this is a question for you guys because i i play drums and have been known to sing while playing drums and for me if i'm singing i can't be playing something crazy on the drums like it just i can't make those two things work um so for you guys as guitar players i mean I would assume as well that if you're singing something, it's also difficult to play something complex and you would, you would kind of sacrifice one or the other, you know, and I would assume that normally you'd be sacrificing guitar to kind of sing something. Whereas in this example of Chris's vocal and baseline, it's almost as if his vocal is simpler and he's thinking about the bass. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the thing he's having to like focus on as opposed to it being like a unconscious thing. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Because the bass part's just insane. Like I don't know yeah. how you are able to make those things work. It's almost in conversation with the vocal melody. You know what I mean? It's like oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, that's kind of how I view it. Like you know, he's he sings the line, and it's it's almost like the bass is doing backup vocals. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. doing its own, uh, it's self-efficient. Uh, you know. Um, well, you'd have to get to the point, and Aaron, you can confirm this maybe, but where you're where what you're doing manually just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like you it you memorize the manual bit like the fretboard work on the yeah. baseline to the point where it just plays itself exactly and that's what he had to have done you know yeah. it's where you, you can't think about it because the second you start to think about it it's it, yeah. it falls apart if you think you're dead yeah exactly. top gun there it is <laughs> um i would say uh another thing i love about this song is um i I love there's there's something about 
a, a, a use of acoustic guitar when mm. it's cool. Like, mm. you know, there's, to me, there's like lame acoustic guitar, like, you know, uh, <laughs> cheesy, like, uh, I, I don't want to name drop any, anybody cause there's, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, other bands or, or whatever that, that could, you can say, just, you can say incubus. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> just like breezy, you know, it's like, but like, I love when there's, well, I love when an acoustic guitar is like strummed hard and, you know, mm. like, um, you know, I'm thinking I, I, I always, for some reason, the, the acoustic on follow the leader ha- gives me like, uh, the album, a hard day's night vibes, just that like, mm, sc- totally. like Lennon strumming. And, and it's, that's like the only, you know, uh, for for a good portion of the song, it's that's the only guitar, right? I mean, mm-hmm. well, I guess there's there's some electric that um, mm-hmm. comes in after the first couple lines, but like, um, I really the highlight of this song to me is when the drums drop out and it's just the acoustic yeah. guitar and bass. That's mm-hmm. like um, that. Who who else would would think to do that? You know. Like they, they easily could have, could have kept that part in. And, and maybe that, that was a Gregory thing, you know, like, uh, like he said, he was, he, and like you guys said, he was so involved with the album and, you know, uh, got the producer credit and I'm sure something like that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it was somebody else. I don't know, but I love that, that section in particular. I love that too. It kind of reminds me, and there are some elements of this later in the album too, that we'll touch on when we get there, but I kind of feel like, you know, Murphy's always got like those mid sixties who albums like on his iPod or like, mm. you know, in his back pocket constantly. So when it's like, what do I do here? What did they do on a quick one? What did they do on Tommy? You know? And so mm. I, I kind of feel like that those albums are a good example of where acoustic works. You know what I mean? Like Pete Townsend mm. playing yes. acoustic guitar in a break. Um, so yeah, anyway, to kind of and just think, agree, agree with you. <laughs> and there was some of that on, on parallel play, like, um, you know, like the intro to I'm not a kid anymore. Mm, that like yeah. really mm. acoustic, it's like spoon totally. does that a lot. I, I love that, that effect. Um, and, but to, to go to your point about the who, and like, obviously when, when, you know, if you're going to compare one Murphy's or one Sloan song to like a quick one, you immediately jump to fading into obscurity or 48 portrait, yeah. but, sure. but follow the leader because of, it's different sections and especially that outro it's, it's very much in that discussion of like a sweet kind not, not totally. the band. This, although, you know, maybe <laughs> there's definitely some of that baked into any song. I digress. Sweet S U I T E S U I T E. Yeah. Um, mm. There's definitely a sweet element to the song um, that uh, it's so, it, it, the the it, it's so fulfilling like you can that you could it has all these different parts to know like mm. i i don't i really don't feel i, I feel like uh, bands don't write songs like that like it i, I mccartney did it with band on the run you know and mm. and the who yeah that's another good one bunch, but like who's doing that now mm. you know? and yeah. someone's able to do it and I know they they have the riff farm and and you know scraps of different songs, but like it's done in such a way, it never ever feels like jo- like disjointed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. that when the "Don't Let Them uh, Get Away with It" part comes in, it's like, oh, this is obviously where this song was supposed to go. It, yeah, you don't even it think lands. of it as oh, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is going <clears> to <throat> connect into the answer was you. You think of it as like 
it's it's almost it could you know they could have listed it as track two you know what i mean like mm. they could have <laughs> well, this album is is rife with stuff like that and this is again mm. I, there to, to me there are two or three things that make this album unique there's the sound that we talked about there's the fact that it's the shortest album at 34 minutes and then there's this collaborative nature of the recording process and i know that the band would claim we're not collaborative we do our own shit and we come in with our own songs and then we tie it together somehow but that's there's there is collaboration happening here you can tell that people are coming together to figure out how do we make a triptych of three songs to open the album and make it make oh. sense yeah. you know and maybe chris uh, or patrick can you come and sing you know can you come and double my lead vocals on this song or you know jay i have the perfect way to fit in part of my song to your song this is something that's happening on this album i think more than we've seen maybe even since between the bridges yeah and i would uh to to go to go back uh, rewind a little bit into the song um the the middle section where where andrew's drums come in because we all know we all know it's gregory doing doing the motown beat which is sick by the way you know like uh you know Hat, hat my I tip my hat to Gregory on that, but like when Andrew comes in, you're like, "Here's our man!" Like with the, <laughs> with the in, you know doing the insane uh, Keith Moon stuff and just everything going on in that's it's like one of the one of the biggest climaxes in the Sloan catalog with the, just mm-hmm. the the guitars are going nuts, drums are going nuts, vocals are going completely nuts, and and I actually I think I gave Murphy some shit for this once. That live, like when they did it live, I I actually like pref- preferred this one section that that middle section live better because you know they would you know, Murphy like, I find every day someone gets in line and then like they would like you know hold it hold out the notes and Murphy would go I, I, yeah yeah you know, like, <laughs> really what I'm trying to say is it was really prominent live whereas like oh. i'm sure limitations of you know recording and they wanted every piece to be you know uh y- y- you didn't you didn't want to like p- put it all on the vocals mm-hmm. then you would crown out the cool guitar stuff happening but like um i love that section it's so so powerful you know it's insane i mean Ken, you were talking about it as a triptych, these three songs, and Aaron, just the excitement of this song. Even that, that wild guitar during the, the Andrew drum stuff that's going like, like it's just insane. Yeah. I, I, I picture somebody who's maybe never seen them before or is going to the show with somebody who's a fan already, and you're, you don't know too much about the band. And the first three songs, it's like, that guy's the singer, now that guy's the singer, now that guy's the singer. And it's these three like knockouts. You know, I just wish I could get in the head of that person and, and experience these first three songs live. You must be, compl- how would how are you not floored, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, getting back to, uh, to the thing that was mentioned earlier by Aaron, the YouTube videos that were leading up to the release, um, each of them, similar to the Never See the End of It videos that I think had uh, Ill Place Trust or something was like the outro. Yeah. Um, these ones all had the refrain at the end of Follow the Leader as their outro. You know, and so that was the discography lines up perfectly with the with the drum fill. It's like it's insane. Yeah, that's actually what I was just going to mention. Saying twenty years of Sloan, each album, you know, I know exactly. It's great. It's so it's good. It, and and yeah, I think there was one episode where uh, uh, the, the episode ended with Murph going, 
sometimes I just, you know, line up all of the covers of our albums in Photoshop and just look back and go, yes. And then the next thing you hear is, and then you see all the albums line up. It's just like, ah, this is the best. Again, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, beating a dead horse here but like the song could have just ended before you know what i mean like oh for sure and then just fade out track two the fact that it 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 picks back up again for that like Mm -hmm. that and and i don't know like that that is so there's so many things we say it every time but it, it, (laughs) it there's so many things that separate this band from other bands and that's that's just another one you can point to. It's like, hey, look, look where your band would have ended this song. Well, our our guys are like, we're picking up. That could have been like that. I I wouldn't mind a, a, a two to three minute version. That's just that song. You know what I mean? Mm, but at yeah. the same time, I love that it's fifteen seconds or whatever at the end of yeah. Follow the Leader. Oh, it's perfect. It yeah. comes with dessert. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I guess just uh, everybody out Great. there, join us on uh, episode two when we get into the answer was you. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Right. I mean, the nice, the nice element of this triptych, right? And we, Rob, you and I were arguing before the, or discussing before uh, we pressed the record button on, on whose album this is, right? And I think that we mm. can certainly dissect this in a little bit more detail in the coming minutes. But um, you start the album with one of the strongest Chris songs in the latter half of, of the band's career. It's like top five Chris, like for sure. And then you dive, you dive right into maybe one of the stronger Jay's songs in the latter half of his, although it's hard because everything that Jay's been putting out since maybe (laughs) 2001 has just been off the charts. Good, you know, Uh, and it just seems to be getting better and better. And this is again, uh, a track that for me, uh, I had just met my wife when this was, uh, when this was going on my now wife. Um, and it was it kind of hit a sentimental note because it's the it's this feeling of finding the right person and it's a musical encapsulation of that feeling and it does a perfect job of describing that is the transition from uh follow leader into answer was you the best transition like because obviously uh when he i'm trying to think of like where it actually when it comes in uh or am I thinking of? I'm, you know, am I sorry? I'm completely lost. You can please edit this out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, oh, yeah. So right, because the transition it sounds like when when it goes to the uh, like on a CD copy, that's where it turns into track two. Like if you're listening mm-hmm. to it on Apple or Spotify, but really, the answer is you starts with and you know it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the ending yeah. of uh, Follow the Leader. It's- which has got this like backwards drum thing where like the snare is on the one and stuff. And, and then suddenly the whole song turns around and clicks into answer is you. It's just like, Oh, it's amazing. Like for me, best transition. I'm trying to think of another one. I mean, perhaps moving with the masses into hardcore. (laughs) There's so, I mean, there's, it's hard. I'll say this. It's hard to beat the transitions on, between the bridges but if mm, any yeah. and i always felt like i remember i kind of remember when this was coming out i remember reading about it and stuff and a lot of people made between the bridges comparisons to sure. this album mm-hmm. it's, i and i could get behind that it's kind of like mm. a um e- you know even though 12 has has the distinction of being the other album with completely even uh evenly split tracks the, i feel like the double cross is kind of like the uh 
the latter half Sloan version of Between the Bridges in a way because they kind of like um, you know not not to get into songs we haven't talked about yet but like you know they're both albums have their uh, I don't want to say the whole album has like a disco vibe but there there are <laughs> these tracks you know like that that showcase that and and perhaps some other genres you know like long time sure. and um you know with the you know it's country-ish and then you got traces which is dylan-ish like you know like i i could see what how those albums are parallel but to uh to go back to the, that transition it's just as good as any transition in, that they have and and again who else is doing who else can we are we talking about transitions you know what i mean like <laughs> Fact that the, there's that much care put into these albums and mm-hmm. and um and and forget even transitioning with one writer you're transitioning two writers you know like it's two yeah. different people two different songs yep and and uh to to go to to answer i if you're talking about who whose album this is you know we people talk about um well first off the, the answer is always going to be wrong because it's a slow album that's that's the <laughs> thing but uh you know you and you guys have talked about it for sure. Like the, uh, the hidden Murphy solo el- album within never hear the end of it. This is almost like a, 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 another version of that because Murphy is on so many songs and he, he pops up. I love how he pops up on the answer is, uh, was you, um, totally. with, with this little section, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, it's on the, the section's like, Hey, Whoa, I'm, I'm here too. Like that's, <laughs> it's funny, like, but, but it's also a great, little section that um makes you you know it it makes you uh fondly look back on the lines you amend but it's like they didn't this song is in no way the lines you amend part two mm-hmm. right. you know what i mean that's like that's the i, lo- I love that that's a, you can have a callback to something that was successful in your without it being a rehash well but the and- song itself go go ahead guys i mean Chris, you mentioned the Chris bit there. That's the element of unrest and melancholy coming into an otherwise quite optimistic song, isn't it? Right. That's sort of this totally. storm and drang element of just like boom, you know. And that ha- that happens. You think that there's something light kind of going on, uh, and where you don't have to really. You can just sit back and enjoy the song. At any point that happens in this album, something happens that kind of drives you back into this musical unease which is interesting the other thing too like talking about uh gregory's influence on the album like um especially here as opposed to you know parallel play it's like i think they're i think they're writing there and recording these songs going like yes we we can definitely do this live because like mm-hmm. the Mellotron flute action yeah. going on in, in the answer was you, you know, like there that's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's Gregory's fingerprint, but it's so, uh, it just works. It works perfectly. It's like, Oh yeah, of course, Jay, this is what Jay, this was a Jay sanctioned keyboard mm-hmm. part. Like it's very mm-hmm. keyboard heavy and not just p- like, you know, uh, piano has always been on slow albums, but like, this is one of their first, like, synthier non-piano albums you know and and but it's never and it's it's still so timeless it's not like oh this is one's 80s album you know some student like (laughs) 
Weezer or something, you know, like it's like, no, this is just another great Sloan album that has this another texture to it. Mm. Just like, just like fucking Maracas were a texture on one chord to another. You know what I mean? It's mm. like these subtle things, these, these subtle things that, that, that are great. And there's so many great keyboard things going on, on, mm. on Anthro's you. I got to be honest. I've had this fantasy in my mind now for a few months. It'll probably never happen. <clears throat> but if I could be the Steven Sondheim of Sloan fans for a second and just sort of speculate about a, an eventual Sloan musical, if you will. And I don't know what the story would be, but a yeah. musical where like, you know, like the who's Tommy or something where they kind of take the album and, I, and, the, and the album has the Tommy album has a bit of a narrative and then they kind of add to it for the stage show. Um, but where if you were to take the Sloan songs and just weave a narrative in there and have it make sense, this song is a great example. And 48 Portraits is another one for me too, which I can just totally imagine, you know, being performed live. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's just like fucking standing ovation, seeing like, you know, 50 people perform that song. But anyway, <laughs> this one's I'm a great one. on board with this. I don't even know where it's going, but, let's <laughs> but you mentioned let's something go. earlier, Aaron, or maybe it was Ken about Chris kind of coming and being like the agreement guy on Jay's tune. You know they're they're dressed up the, like the Jets in West, West Side Story, and it's Jay's song. He's in front, and then Chris fucking or the, or the character, the Chris character, slides in front of Jay and just says, "Oh, by the way, he pops his collar. No need to be concerned." I've been, you know what I mean? Like I love that it has that vibe to it. Like he's just he is kind of interrupting the song. And apparently, the story here is that the 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 Chris Bridge was actually a song of his. Like it was an idea of his that he'd been working on, kind of been laying around, and Jay sort of introduced it into his song. So that. That part is actually a Chris original. I'm I'm dying that they over cut here. And pasted. I I am. Uh, you're killing me. It's too <laughs> early in the morning for this shit. <laughs> also, um, by the way, can we talk for a second about the, how jam packed this song is? I mean, like thirty seconds in, and we're already into verse mm. two. You know what I mean? Mm. The song is two twenty. You know, is there a more perfect song length? I submit that there is not. That's 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 your ideal, and under three, and is the way to be. <laughs> Depends on the song. <laughs> you can get, song yeah. like, That's got to go on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> not not to keep like um, you know I I love Chris so much and and but and and obviously this is Jay's song but a, a Chris thing I always loved on this song um, going back to his bass playing is what is the I couldn't read your writing section the bass is like boom jump 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 ka jump 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 ring ding. You know, just so like holding it together where everything drops out. I love that little section. It's it's so much depth to the song. Once you get to the double cross in their career, you can really start to tell that these are great musicians. Like these aren't just guys who have great chemistry and songwriting skills. These are actual seasoned fucking professional musicians. Uh the drumming on this entire album is so on point the fills are so on point the way that the drums are mic'd and the way that it's put in the mix is just so on point and the same applies to bass throughout the album there are little surprises on every song and you don't even notice them when you're listening to the flow because there's there's a there's this great flow on this album as well um but like if you actually consciously if you put on your studio headphones or whatever and if you listen to each track there's so much going on in 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 the musicality and the instrumentation the way that they're playing and just the composition for the instruments it's it's really unparalleled i think as well and it's not necessarily something they continue into the next two albums per se but there's each instrument speaks for itself in this album um but they fit together 
wonderfully. It doesn't sound cluttered. It doesn't sound muddy. Like when I try to fucking produce my shit on logic and I, you know, I can't get any separation between channels trying to pull that off. And it just sounds like one soup. And this sounds, you know, I'm not trying to draw comparisons because I'm not a professional, but this is, it's a super hard thing to achieve in musical production. So, you know, a nice little nod to, to, to Hazlitt and to Greg for pulling this together because it's done beautifully. I was just going to say tip of the hat to Ryan Hazlitt uh, and obviously the guys who would have mixed and then also Joe Cavallo who would have been the mastering guy. Uh, yeah, this album sounds insane. And, and just to kind of get back to something you guys were talking about earlier about whose album is this? And again, like Aaron said, it's really a toss up. It's kind of hard to, you know, depending on the day of the week, it, you could answer it differently, but it is. And, and and this is not to say that I don't love, you know, the Patrick and Andrew songs, but in terms of like, whose album is this? It's a real neck and neck between Chris and Jay here. You know, I, I, I'll give, I'll give Chris the edge. I'll give Chris the edge and I'll give Jay Commonwealth. Like we said last, you know, when we were sure. talking before this, if, if, <laughs> if I have to split it that way, I'll do it that way. Cause for me, Chris's songs on this album are just there. Every single track is just gold. Yeah, it's rolled I think- gold. <laughs> rolled gold speaking of in the uh, in the uh, visual on the insert there speaking of rolled gold there is a picture it's really small but it patrick is holding a giant garbage bag full of what look like pretzels uh they're probably playing some giant festival i just love that photo <laughs> Towards the year of the pretzel i don't know if you want to um because we should probably mention um you touched on it with your copy rob but maybe this can go towards the intro uh, we should talk about the the release of because i you know i forgot the, the what what your copy is what and how this album was rolled out you guys would right. remember better than me when it was announced and like jumping on that because that's you know like i said to you guys that's the one the one thing i don't have to uh, which i always uh kick myself for because i just didn't I, I was like a second too late you know to jump on but um i don't know we you can probably edit this toward, towards the beginning when we're talking about like the album in general I think it's fine to leave it here, but I mean, yeah, like specifically, I guess the artwork was originally done as a screen printed cover uh, Mm. and mine, which is one of them, it says 51 of 65. I imagine they probably did a few more like for the band members and friends and family, that kind of thing. Um, So there are definitely less than a hundred of them kicking out, kicking around in the world out there. And this would have been like an exclusive original release. So these are all hand screened and they each come with their own little envelope inside that says the XX on it. And there's a photo inside. In this particular copy, it's a photo of Greg and Jay holding my album cover. Uh, and that was that would have been the case for everybody who got one of these. Um, so kind of cool. I'll, I'll post that on social media as well. Um, That's the coolest. Man. But then they would have taken the elements of some of these screen prints. I assume maybe there was one of them was that was particularly great. Uh, and then that became the template for the artwork for you know the official release, the yellow cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very and cool. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like I feel like I've read or heard in an interview, like it was kind of like Andrew's project that everybody kind of rallied yeah. together and was like, sure. Oh, we can all do this. This will be yeah. fun. And um, the only other example I can think of where a band did that was uh, guided by voices with their uh, propeller album. Every they it was just blank white cardboard sleeves and everyone was, you know, everybody in the band made different versions and those go for like, you know, a thousand dollars now. I think there's like a couple hundred or something, but this is even even more exclusive. And um, uh, I I sent this to you guys. Chris uh, Murphy sent it to me. 
um, and we could put it all, we'll put it on the Instagram. Um, I, cause I said to him, cause I don't have, I don't have one of these limited edition copies and I was so curious, like, what do the other ones look like? Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> knowing what art, what kind of like archivist, you know, Chris is and Jay, I'm like, do you have like pictures of all the versions before you sent them out? And of course he did. He sent me a video of, uh, you know, all the different <laughs> album covers. And it's so funny too, because it's just like, maybe it's because we're so used to it. But when you see the one that they use, it's like, Oh, that, of course, that's the one, that's the one, you know? Yeah. Um, I love, I, you know, I, I, part of me is like, who, who gives a shit, but like I do. So I'll talk about it, which is basically like, I love the color scheme, you know, mm. it, it's, uh, cause you can't talk about this band without their, the whole package, the aesthetic package. And like this, when you when like Chris said, when you lays all the albums out, it's like, yes, this is their yellow one. You know, like it makes yeah. it just looks good, you know, it's, and it's great, a good it's shade of yellow. too. Yeah. Great shade of yellow. And, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the, uh, for the tour, uh, the crew had purple satin, XX jackets, oh, so good. yellow, yellow stitching. And, uh, you know, those, those looked, uh, magnificent. Like mm. a crown Royal purple mimicking yes. sort of the purple on the cover here. Beautiful. Just so great looking. I mean, yeah, like a lot of the early albums, like, you know, twice removed, Navy blues. Um, you could probably stick, I'm trying to say like maybe parallel play in there too, but they kind of had like a red, yellow, black aesthetic, the live album too. Sure. Uh, and then for Pretty Together in One Chord, they're kind of a similar blue there. And then the gold kind of, of Pretty Together kind of comes into action-packed. Yeah. And Never Hear the End is obviously the pink one. And Parallel Play is the red one. And Double Cross is the yellow one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Speaking of Sloan 13, it'll be interesting to see what that one looks like. I can't wait. <laughs> Maybe we can dive into the next one here. Oh, do it. Um, I mean, the, to top off the triptych, uh, to take a song that's so unlike the other two songs that we just listened to and to make it sound as though it's part of this coherent package is also a, a work of art. But I have a huge soft spot for Unkind. I know that it's Me another, too. like, you could argue that it's Patrick going at, again, sort of a radio friendly single, which it, I'm, I'm sure in part is. And I know that that's part of his DNA per se. Um, but it, for whatever reason, it's it's this combination of this sort of this, this sort of ethereal quality that you get throughout the song, which is emphasized by the by the introduction with the keys and this ebo on the guitar with this droning. I'm not sure what string it is. It's probably the the, the low E string or the or the A string, but this droning guitar, and then you get this this like Charlie Watts sounding like just before the beat drumming by Andrew. And it's like the locomotion of this song is is dope. Like the lo- it it just sounds like I, there's no there's no parallel in the Sloan catalog. It's not it's not like you know it's not like if it feels you do it or Money City Maniacs, which would be the other two like radio single ish or maybe Believe in Me, right? The Patrick radio single ish uh, singles. Um, but it's clear to see why they chose this as the first single off of the it's album. It's plain to see. It's plain to see. It's plain. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a misunderstanding. Um, but uh, this, like, un- this understanding, it, 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 <laughs> that, that, that understanding was a misunderstanding. Okay. Um, it's like I even get a carsy. Like there's sort of a new wave vibe to this yeah. song. Mm, like I get a carsy sort of like simple. You get the simple backbeat. Um, 
but like really great riff work going on. There's subtle hand claps in the chorus. Have you guys yes. caught that? Like yes. this, oh, it's great. Totally. Like a one single hand clap. Yeah, it's like every don't know why. Sound clap. Yeah. 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 And that like you have to listen to that shit to really get into it. So for me, it's a really great example of how they gradually layer instruments on top of each other to give sort of a tonal aura that just you build up there are so many songs in this album that just build up into this climax uh and then resolve into just this wonderful outro and that's for me personified here on this track i love this track totally and just to kind of speak to the lyrics for a second i kind of have had this idea that like Patrick looks at his record collection and is either looking at song titles or something and something strikes him. And then it kind of just becomes a part of the lyrics in a way. Like there's the, uh, I walk the line for you from Navy blues where he just basically takes like the Johnny cash title and makes that the first line of the song. Hmm. Uh, and I know he's, he's such an, a big ACDC guy, obviously. And they had a hit in the early nineties with a song called, are you ready? Which are the first three words of this song. Um, I don't know if there's really a tie there, but I kind of, I, I suspect that there might be, cause I just kind of feel like, I don't know. He's, he, I don't know. I kind of feel like he's a guy who kind of does that a little bit. Uh, there's another, there's another couple of songs like that too, where like the first line of the song is, perhaps a direct reference to uh, the lyrics of another song i could be way off right, like uh can't you figure it out or uh w- w- no it's uh the love and spoonful song uh um did you ever have to make up your mind did you ever have to make up your mind yeah <laughs> well there's also uh you, you got to roll with the punches to get to what is real right that's patrick doing the same thing quoting oh. van halen yeah <laughs> the other thing with unkind um you know i'm I'm as guilty a, as anyone of of uh, constantly comparing Sloan to the Beatles, but like a um, the under the the really the other or maybe second biggest influence on on Sloan is is the Stones, and this is you mentioned mm-hmm. the Charlie style drumming, rest in peace. Uh-huh. Um, but just the song in general, I mean, like if you know, it's funny that's that Sloan opened for the Stones in in what was it oh six. You know, it's like if if they if this song was around, then yeah, Keith Richards might have like you know he might have perked <laughs> up when he heard when he heard that guitar riff and went, "How the fuck did I not come up with that?" Hmm. You know? What in the so, bloody hell was that? Yeah, <laughs> oh, Keith, it's so Stones, but it's not. Again, like anything, it's not pastiche. It's it's its own thing, and um, this I, I whenever they play it live. It, people go nuts and, and rightfully so it just has that great it's instant it's an instant song um mm. and you know you you wonder um i don't know where i was going to get at with that but uh, the other thing i was going to mention was um it's also it has the distinction of being the last to as of now the last sloan music video um which yeah. and, and, I, and i love which that crazy crisp mm. crisp black and white with the uh with the spotlight um you know, uh, Chris playing the, his Hoffner, uh, which is always cool to see, mm-hmm. um, always shows up in the videos. It seems like, um, but, uh, yeah, no. I, oh, here's what I was going to say. Like I, I, uh, I remember, you know, I remember people like friends of mine, uh, who I thought would have zero interest in Sloan. Like every time I fucking went off about them, I remember like, hearing unkind playing in like another dorm room, like a, a friend, friend of mine, like, like, so like that was cool to me. I was like, okay, that th- I remember th- this one guy, uh, 
liked unkind for what he, I don't know. He, he must've uh, heard me playing it or something. And then like mm. he's playing it and it's, it's, it's a great single in that, in that regard. Hmm. Yeah, totally, man. Like I, I was going to say, uh, Patrick with the sort of relatable relationship lyrics, he's kind of the guy I think above anybody else who makes it like the early Beatles songs, which are all about just like guy, girl relationships, like that kind of stuff. It's just like, you know, from me to you, da, 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 da. Like everything's just like, I lo- she loves you. Just very relational mm-hmm. uh, and very like one person talking to another about their relationship. Um, and I would suggest that his other two songs on here are kind of in that same vein too. Very conversational sure. sounding. Yeah. Um, so, and I think maybe that's a part of the, uh, you know, what makes it stand out to people, what makes it relatable, you know? Mm-hmm. Another thing I want to point out in this song, similar to what I was saying with the, uh, with those stretched out vocals in follow the leader there it's, it, you can barely hear it. It's one my only quibble with the, uh, with the mix on kind <laughs> Uh, just the couple quibbles, couple quibbles. Um, the uh, the I don't know why. I don't know if it's Chris or Gregory singing like I don't know why. Mm. You know, like Mm. that. I I because live that was super prominent, and I want that to be so much louder in the mix. You know, it's it's a great uh great addition to that to the song. Mm. And that's layered on top of those guitar minis too. Like, there's just so much going on here. It's hard to say where's the where's the threshold between perfect production and overproduction, right? Mm. And it's so hard to like there's so much happening in the production of this album that I can't judge the way that it came out. We have a great example of a perfectly produced song right on the doorstep. Should we continue? Cuz we the triptych ends and now we start a new block, I guess. Um Shadow of Love, which First of all, I love it when Chris and Patrick split lead duties in super voice style. Mm, um, totally. This is clearly a Chris first song and Greg's high backing harmonies certainly add to the effect. But for me, the Sloan super voice defines this track. Um, the last time okay. we heard this, I think to this extent, you have to think back to Gimme That on Ash Impact, which depending on how you look at it, because I think even there, Patrick's double lead vocal is 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 mixed down a little bit more so you might even need to go back to if it feels good do it to find an example of the super voice this prominent so it, it has been a while this song is like it might be my favorite track on the album it's certainly one of the standouts on the album and for me one of the standouts in the latter half of of chris's career again listen to this song through studio headphones you have to listen to this entire album through through really high quality headphones to have an idea of how brilliantly this album is mixed like no single instrument is too overpowering no voice is too overpowering the finished product still sounds light and it doesn't really f- it sound like you know it's this melange of, of of a bunch of crap and just like the drumming is so on point like the fills that andrew goes through you got to watch the there's a, a youtube video i think the channel is called explore music um and you might have seen this. There's a live performance of this from when the album was released. So it was a promo thing that they were doing in their studio space. In the, I think it was in their studio space. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, there there are points in this album where I think uh, the drums kind of sound quantized. Like they sound like they're a little bit snapped to the grid because the fills are just so perfect, right? And then I watched that performance recently again, and Andrew Andrew is just totally on point. Like he is absolutely fleek. It's yes. 
his his he's <laughs> this might be the pinnacle of Andrew Scott drumming on record. That video is so cool. He's got yeah. he looks so cool in that video. He's got like the collared shirt on, sleeves rolled up, just and he's playing like you said these insanely fast fills, and he's not even breaking the sweat. No. He's just powering over the drums, just like barely any movement in the hands, yeah. just going through these fills. It's metronomic. Uh, it's like, and this is this is again why we've talked about Andrew being Keith Moon with timing. <laughs> Those fills sound like dynamic enough to be Keith Moon, and they sound crazy enough to be Keith Moon, but they're just robotically timed, and not to the point where it sounds like a drum machine, but to the it still sounds human. You know, it's it's ridiculous. This song is first off, it's 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 Murphy writing wanting to write an a a new G turns to D for the set. Um, <laughs> I think I think yeah, that's I think he's literally said that. And uh, you know, or love the energy of G turns to D. Can we get another one of those, you know, yeah. in our catalog? And it and it so does that. Mm. And um it's like you know, I think Murphy would like this uh, comparison. Like, you know how like early seasons of The Simpsons, it's just like there's a million jokes per per minute. You know, it's like it's distilled down to like there's no bad jokes in like any given minute. With this song, there's m- melodies. It's like you know the the um, the ma- amount of melodies packed into such a short, fast song. It's like my my might be like the most melodic song that you could categorize as punk. Like it's like a punk Fleetwood Mm. Mac, this Mm. song, that Mm. vocal, that three part vocal blend is so Fleetwood Mac. The music is like, um, I, I, I don't know if if, I know Jay's a big Elvis Costello fan. I don't know how, how much Chris is, but the, the, the backing band, they sound like the fucking attractions, especially with Mm -hmm. the keyboard, you know, the, I thought it was like stylophone or something, but, uh, and which reminds me, there is a, I, I meant to look this up, uh, in preparation for this episode, but there is a great interview with Gregory from this era for like a keyboard magazine. And he runs through each track on the double cross. He did it again for Commonwealth, I think mm-hmm. this magazine, but there's a, it, he runs down like what he used on each track and it's definitely worth seeking out. I hope, okay. hope it's still online. Um, and I, cool. it wasn't a stylophone. But uh, it's some, you know, some cheesy organ that really cuts through. And it, 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 I say cheesy organ as, as a, as a, you know, fondly, you know, it's, it's uh, that I love that sound. You know, Farfisa or whatever it is. And Farfisa, getting back yeah. to the, the drums for a second here, it's, it's, it's not a crazy part for crazy sake either. Like there's a lot of, con- it's, it's very economical, you know, yeah. like he's, he's, he's going crazy. Like you you know, like every, it hits every little hit and uh, it's not like too many symbols. It, it just makes sense. It's um I don't know. It just fits with the rest of the song so well. Uh, and, and there's so much energy here too. I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't think Shadow of Love came in the live set after the first three songs. I think they would usually leave it for later. But, mm-hmm. um, but like you were saying, like, just so much energy uh, from the entire band. But obviously, Murph especially, like, when he gets to the, you know, who let who down, who broke who's hot, and the fucking bass line that's under that, it's going, do, 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 you know. Um, and even by the end of it too, like he's just like singing his heart out this whole time. And by the time he gets to the end, like the, I know, I know, but living in the shadow of love, you know, it's just like, ah, it, there's so much energy. It's just like, I would be exhausted after playing this. I would just like collapse yeah. probably. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And there's, there's Andrew in the back, just like, you know, 
Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Yeah, Chill, exactly. Bill. But I, the the amount of hooks on this on this song, you know, it's like the mm. I know, I know is uh, so much fun to sing. It's constantly mm. stuck in my head, you know. Totally, uh, yeah. You know, it's 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 his gift. You know, it's it's any of their gift in Sloan, but. Um, and we'll yeah. we'll come back to this again later. And and Chris is the one who kind of of everybody who kind of knocks himself as the one who sort of like his like lyrics last and his sort of like his least. He looks forward to that part of the process maybe the least. Uh, and he obviously you know gives it up and says that he obviously puts time into it. But uh, you know when you read the lyrics, especially to to uh, I was I'm thinking of another song on the record. Uh, even I think maybe Follow the Leader is a good example too. But like seeing them written and then hearing how he sings it is just like such a, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know where you get that, you know, how you wrap melody around those words and stuff. It's just, this is another great example of that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's shockingly amazing. And it's like Aaron was saying earlier, it's one of those things that really sets these guys apart. Like they're, they're next level in so many ways. Well, there's so much, there's so much storytelling happening on this album, right? I mean, it's not just Chris, Maybe even not just Chris and Jay. I think also Patrick in in his tracks. They're painting a picture of a very clear situation that you can picture. Like you can you can see what's happening in your mind. Everybody's gone through that situation. Everybody's gone through that emotion. And I think we'll get to this when we get to Green Gardens, Cold Montreal. But there's also a great way of personifying someone in a song without you knowing who the person is or you being able to see them. And obviously. This is maybe a little bit more autobiographical than that example, but um, just to use that to underscore the storytelling that's happening in the lyrics here too. The other thing too, like lyrically, Sloan's such a good band for like idioms, you know, in the lyrics. Mm. Like you could, somebody who's learning English for the first time could like listen to Sloan's body of work and get so many good (laughs) phrases out of it. Like I'm, I'm looking at the of love lyrics right now and just like well first off just in terms of song titles too like so many things like so far so good like stuff like that mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. we say but i love the lyrics of uh and if i had to guess your offers in excess of next to nothing nothing or less you know like right right way i would i would i would give up if i were learning english and we're reading the lyrics <laughs> <and talk this>. <laughs> no <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in wayne's world where he's like you know where did you learn to speak english so well she's like and she could have said like you know all the lyrics to sloan albums and police academy movies <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh slow it down a notch she's slowing down again obviously it's first the first appearance of of andrew the vocalist and songwriter uh of of the double cross um there's something about this song it's it's like andrew's andrew's version of like funk you know like mm-hmm. i was gonna say partridge family but all right, all right cool okay i could see that too um obviously there's a slight callback to uh people of the sky with the with the papa Paz. papa Paz. i i'm a huge for whatever reason, I'm a huge fan of the the groove on this song. I love the the drum fill that mm. that's that's you know puts the song in gear. Mm. Uh, very uh, well, especially when we see it live because the Murphy got to do that fill. That fill is very like it's like a like a slow Keith Moon kind of thing, like psh, psh, you know, mm. like very sim like uh, I don't know how to describe it. Very symbol. To use the symbols and hi hats as part of the fill is I always love that, and it's a, right, cool. it's a great fill for me for me. But yeah, I love uh, 
it's it's got this funky groove that like I don't I feel like uh you know is not always on Andrew tracks and like mm-hmm. uh, the baseline is clearly like a nod to like uh celebrate good times right like the like doo 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 right the parallel for me in the Beatles catalog would be "Gotta Get You Into My Life." Okay, sure. For um, me too, there's a there's an audio thing where uh, it's it's like the the piano riff is very reminiscent of where it's at by back, like that, like kind of thing. Actually, that is just the same piano riff, isn't it? Yeah, I well, I'm I'm singing the back one, but I mean, like, there's it's similarish melodically. Um, and it's almost like, I don't know if it's like Andrew hears these songs just like in life, you know, like the, like the, I never met a man like me before from mm-hmm. never at the end of it right. is like that other song from the nineties, like never met a girl like you before or whatever. Um, mm. And he kind of just soaks these things up and maybe just like, like a DJ or whatever, like a human jukebox just sort of like weaves these little pieces of other songs like into his own song somehow which i guess is what songwriting is ultimately but these are sort of more direct references which i don't know if they are actually intended that way but uh anyway yeah she's slowing all down and again always kind of gives me that sort of like the songs are completely not similar at all but that back vibe where it's at yeah and murphy that's... murphy comes in again yeah you know just like he did on the answer was you and and that's why i i i gravitate towards this being his album because he's you know, he's vocally not only in his own songs, but he's he's in uh, you know this and 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 the answer was you. I love that section. It's very different territory for Andrew, which is cool. Like, uh, yeah. So I'm hot and cold on this one. I think I've talked to you guys about this one. Uh, musically, I love what's happening. I love Andrew's guitar work. The tone that he's got on his lead riffs in the background is just so on point. And I do love the B part that you're talking about that Chris did. Which has these sort of like delivering maybe's esque call and response vocals. Sure. Um, and even if you listen to like one of the subtle production things that make this album special, uh, that happens in this song is the way that they bring you from Andrew's A part, uh, in, I think it's in F, into Chris's B part, which is I think in A flat. And they use the ba ba ba's to get to the high note that brings you from the one key to the other. Uh, it's just one of those little things that makes this album special but i continually trip over the lyrics of this song i'm not sure why i think maybe it's the use of cash and carry in a sloan song which just seems to me like i don't know Um, (laughs) i do want to mention too while we were talking about the b part with chris it was see having seen this show a few times like i said earlier um the b part where chris kind of comes that comes in with his like how many times part and Kevin Hilliard obviously was the lighting guy by this point, and he would have his spotlight like shoot from Andrew to Chris behind the drums. The light finds Chris, and he sings that part, and then it goes back to Andrew. Just oh, a great man. little production note that I love I wish, seeing every I night. I wish like, I could have seen this tour. I I so wish I could have seen this tour. I fucking no, coming back to my whole thing about the Sloan musical. It was very yeah. you know musical theater esque. I gotta say, right, right. No, I mean I would. Uh... Like you said, Ken, with with Unkind having a soft spot, like I could see, I could see people um, tripping over this one a little bit, but I just have a soft spot for it. It's like mm-hmm. it's, um, and maybe it might just be because of that funky bent bend to it that uh, you know I don't often get in in Andrew songs. Speaking of funk, we've got Green Gardens <laughs> Cold Montreal. <laughs> 
continuing continuing in the vein of um of hit and runs midnight mass right uh and a mm -hmm. vein that will continue to neither here nor there on commonwealth right um <sighs> it's just jay and his acoustics uh or in, I, I guess his acoustic in 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 the sense of it's a doubled acoustic in both left and right channels and the little sprinkling of the roads for the middle bit uh which mm. which sounds fantastic I, there's for me there isn't much I, I i wouldn't dwell too much on this track lyrically jay at his very best doing his very best chris murphy impression with all kinds of like plays on words and metaphors and we've talked about this um well i, I might have just mentioned this beforehand but jay has this uncanny ability to do sort of this like homage to a particular female protag protagonist right he nice. does he has this really great job of without mentioning any names or without you know saying what his relationship to the person is giving the listener a very clear image of who this girl is uh and we'll have this later as well in beverly terrace and we've talked about the cleopatra era of sloan music i'm not sure if this qualifies uh rob maybe you can get into that but sure like this is whoever his muse is for for this thank you because you've inspired jay to create lyrically one of his finest songs to to sort of talk about it in the in the cleopatra era of songs which are clearly defined on obviously the next one on commonwealth <clears throat> if i had to guess i would say this is maybe the beginnings of that you know like it's the beginning edges where i don't know if the songs were originally intended about the cleopatra muse but they kind of start edging that direction especially with beverly terrace which takes place in california and then you know the cleopatra stuff is the toronto versus california stuff or like he's on tour she's there kind of thing um for green gardens cold montreal it almost harkens back to early jay where he's sort of mem remembering school you know like where he he name checks like faculty members like he's he's definitely talking about a school period of time uh he he taught he references here in the song giving it the old college try um so lyrically that you know it's 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 coming back to that you know you know the school the dance that was held in somebody's basement you know um which to me always i always pictured as being like a, a high school age memory um so yeah not too sure if this really fits into the cleopatra era officially um but he's definitely edging into that territory for sure like i said specifically with beverly terrace which is coming up it's a great break too of from all the uh Mm. Act, the I was going to say action fact. The action fact. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, first five songs, which have so many um, simultaneous musical ideas. Um, not not to say that this doesn't in its guitar part, which I don't even want to attempt to learn how to play. Um, but uh, it's it's just a nice. I, I like I like any album that um, that has like a breather track and not not to say um this the the quality is it goes down because it doesn't it's a, it's a it's a stone cold classic jay song mm -hmm. i think he i think he one-upped it on with neither here nor there but um uh i i do love it it's it's i i'm trying to think if there's any well, I, I guess there's a precedent with uh, the life of a working girl in terms of like a, a solo acoustic Sloan song. Well, you could argue yeah. pretty together if you include that in sure. sort of part of the official, you know. But, but this um, one, I mean, 
sorry to, to go to your to say to your point there, Aaron. Like, I feel like Life of a Working Girl. I mean, I don't know chords and stuff, but it feels more like maudlin and kind of minor, and you know, yeah. do do do, like a like yeah. a like a Smiths B side or something. Whereas this yeah. one is very like major and kind of like mm-hmm. hopeful, and you know, friends yeah. blow away, blow away, blow. It's just beautiful. Sounding. It's an it's an open E tuning with a capo on I think the third or fourth fret. So oh, it's okay. it's gonna like if you're playing an open key and an open major key, you're hitting on those resonating open strings, and it's gonna be very major sounding as well. So sure, I was gonna say I was gonna say I you know I was gonna draw a parallel to like Joni Mitchell like mm-hmm. in terms of style, and you like it's easy to forget like that she's an influence on them. It's you know, we we all know that they covered a case of you like uh, right, earlier, and, and I, how could she not be an influence? You know, she's one of the one of the greatest ever. But um, just in terms, I and I'm I was thinking like, I wonder if it has like a crazy tuning, and that answered that. You know, so. <laughs> well, you even get some like going to California Zeppelin vibes from this, which was about Joni Mitchell, right? That's a dedicated mm-hmm. dedication to Joni Mitchell. So that would be the breather in the in the Zeppelin set, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, it just, I mean, for Jay to be showing up here a second time after Answer Was You and coming in with just like a stone cold acoustic classic is just like, mm-hmm. again, we're, we're talking about whose album is this? You know, we can maybe agree that it's Chris <laughs> at the end of the day, but again, Jay is like neck and neck with him here. And then that would, I believe that's side one, that's the end of side one on vinyl. Is that right? Yeah, let me check. Yes, it is. It is indeed. Which is a great, uh, you know, great ending. Green Gardens, Cold Montreal. Like the title of the song is the last thing you hear. Just fucking great. Yeah. When you're listening to the CD or you're listening to streaming, you get woken up again when when the next track comes on. You you don't have that effect on vinyl because you don't have that sudden change. But um, it's plain to see is our next track, which Mm. kicks off the, I want to call it the dad punk era of um of, of patrick's career and i mean that in, in i mean it's it's i don't mean that in a diminutive way uh i have a i also have a soft spot for this song for whatever reason it's just super catchy like there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here um they s- smatter in elements of the production mystique that they've built up through the first side here there are keyboard things happening in the second half and like sort of almost reverse sounding background vocals which i don't think are actually reverse but it's just some sort of a cool reverb effect but it's hard to listen to this and not have it in your head for three days afterwards which i think is always the sign of a you know of a really well-written pop song yeah, it's those Patrick singing with himself stacked vocals that wake you up. It's definitely it's 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 almost like we talk about with Patrick's voice, it's like so perfect that when he sings with himself, it's almost edging on too perfect sounding, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he sounds like uh what was that Godzilla character with the two heads? Uh Not I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, where it's just like two voices that sound exactly the same, you know, just hitting you and this this sort of sonic assault takes place. Um but uh, anyway. <laughs> but yeah. I would I would say that that uh this first off this song has grown on me. Um and maybe my only complaint is it sounds more like a Patrick solo song than a Sloan song. Um like I I would like to hear a version. I don't think they really did this live. They definitely didn't do it on the tour. Maybe they did it at like the album release show or something. 
but um i would love to hear the, the version with chris and greg singing um, yeah instead of just stacked patrick which is which is sounds great but like you said you know um you know i know i know chris is a big advocate of like making sure like he's singing on other people's songs that you can hear him in the mix that he gets others singing on his songs get them in the mix and i feel like that's that's kind of missing here but i do um you know i do love the the intro vocals there is like a weird like descending vocal thing happening that doesn't happen again uh it just happens in that intro um like you know i i couldn't i couldn't break it down if i tried but um i love that and uh the it's the feel like it, um obviously traces is is dylan-esque but like this also has like a dylan-y like a like subterranean homesick blues kind of vibe like with the with the rhythm to it you know well speaking of rhythm i mean i recall patrick might have even mentioned this that, that the bed track was originally like the demo was the lust for life drums by iggy pop that makes sense <clears throat> so he would have like that. cut and pasted that drum intro just like you know for three minutes and then just played over that uh and i think that that bpm is probably a little bit slower than this one uh and obviously the iggy pop song is like wild and fucking raw mm. vocally and whatnot so i i could have maybe used a little bit more of that here like this is i don't want to say this is too polished but you know to hear that it was inspired or at least was sort of birthed using lust for life i feel like this could have been maybe i don't want to say like janglier or just like a little rougher around the edges like i could have maybe used like a rougher patrick vocal similar to the, his like vocals on some of the punk stuff but mm. um I don't know. I feel, I feel like he kind of gets closer to that territory uh, two songs from here. But anyway, <laughs> uh, and I do want to mention this. I had mentioned this to you guys privately on Instagram, and I was toying with the fact, like, do I share this anecdote or not? But I, I got to just do it because it's just funny to me. And I apologize for anybody out there who's listening who happens to be a Scientologist. You're probably not listening. <laughs> but anyway, um, my brother came on the road with me when we did this tour with these guys. And at the time, I don't know, I think he had just done like a documentary on Scientology and stuff. So we knew a lot about it. And just to give everybody a quick history lesson in the middle of the double cross review, uh, Scientology written by L Ron Hubbard. So of course, you know, a hundred years later when people are like, Hey, this doesn't make any sense, or it wouldn't have been hundred years, like 40 years later, this doesn't make any sense to make up for the fact that his bullshit didn't make any sense. They would say, Oh, those are just misunderstoods. Like the person who was copying it from the original, you know, lecture to paper, missed the point and that's why it doesn't make any sense when you get to this level and you spent five hundred thousand dollars whatever and they refer to it as a misunderstood you know oh the reason that that and the reason you got to go back to step one and spend more money is it was misunderstood so my brother and i while we were on the road we're listening to the album obviously the whole time we're seeing the album live we're just fans obviously and we started singing the chorus to this song in reference to scientology in it what a little something like this. It's plain to see in Scientology, misunderstoods are misunderstood so easily. Anyway, I don't know why I just shared that, but I figured somebody might, somebody out there might find it kind of funny. And I think we might have even sung it to Jay on the road. And he was just sort of kind and just like, oh, cool. <laughs> this will be a feature on the single cross album that's coming out shortly. <laughs> weird, weird Al does slow. <laughs> totally awesome um maybe we can just move right on to your dad forget that that happened <laughs> <laughs> moving along <laughs> Look, looking, looking at the clock um the uh i love how far the the demo or the studio outtake that we heard from navy blues daddy be cool has come 
by 2011. Do you do you guys listen to that? The the Daddy Be Cool studio studio yes. take. Oh yeah, like and the the background the music stays pretty much the same, but Chris has like no lyrics made up for it. And, he's just uh, and the band through. yeah, he's he's guiding the band. I think he's just faking it, but whatever. <laughs> he addresses the he addresses all of this in the little paragraph inside the navy blues oh, book cool. so if you guys don't mind maybe i could just you know bend your ear and read it outright yeah, um just to quote him warmly uh, so about your daddy will do which was originally called daddy be cool and obviously i think the meaning within the lyrics obviously changed over the decades but um he says this song ended up as your daddy will do 12 years later on the double cross i already had the middle bit in the demo called pictures now which i was gonna say mm-hmm. there is that little bit in there that kind of sounds like what would eventually become anyone is anyone Mm-hmm. Um, from one court to another. At, the, at this point, the lyrics are still from that version. This recording has me playing guitar and singing a scratch vocal and also guiding Andrew as he drums with instructions like rolls, push, walk down, brief walk down, which Ken obviously disputes. Uh, the talking between vocal delivery reminds me of Jay, uh, reminds me and Jay of Temptation Inside Your Heart by Velvet Underground, which is obviously where they got the pretty together uh, inspiration from. Um, I'm sure we were going for a vibe a la A Quick One by The Who. I like the version mm-hmm. on the double cross, but this is kind of more exciting. It also features some major seventh chords from my buddy Jazzy Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, the Daddy Be Cool version is definitely very raw. And like I said earlier about Chris having a copy of you know a mid-60s Who album in his back pocket, that's what he was going for, for sure, on that demo. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, Ken, to hear it kind of arrive here as this sort of like hot AM kind of yeah. You know, you would have heard this on the Love Boat or something. I love it. Don't well, get me wrong. Is, no, this is like this is his answer to "Don't you believe a word?" Isn't it? Like this is the continuation of that musical quality. You have the like the Nile Rodgers octave riffs happening. The drum work is kind of similar. Um, it's rollicking, uh, and it's got kind of this. There's this really cool, simple yet complex bass part with tons of fretting high up on the fretboard. And just the bass tone so it for me there's so many parallels between and we've talked about this earlier between this and between the bridges i just uh i i think when I, when this so going back to when i first heard this album it, obviously it was the you know it had just come out when when i got into them and this was the newest thing i was hearing and i remember i remember hearing uh, going playing through the album and the first on the first listen i was just like yeah, I don't know if I like this as much as the other stuff. And I remember having like, I remember thinking that some songs had like a Steely Dan quality or something that I didn't <laughs> like. But uh, obviously, I with repeated listens, I really got into the album. And I think this was one of the songs that like would have been guilty of that. But it's gr- it's actually become if if not my favorite, it might be my second favorite on the album. I just cool. I love it so much. Like the the intro is so mysterious like the with that with that it's mellotron yeah yeah um it, it, i love i it, that that intro is so cool to me um and obviously the disco-y uh first half of the verse but then the second half has a very similar feel to me uh as like another day by mccartney like just like very, totally that bass that like the bass line in that second part like doom 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 the way it makes that change back in oh so good and and like it's almost like i i don't know if if i guess chris was implying in the navy blues box that they might like daddy be cool better but i i 
you know, I listen to Dabby Cool and it's and it's fun as a fan, but like I'm so glad it turned into mm. um your daddy will do. And I, oh, I, mean, too, the, I, sure. I love I love the lyrics, you know, I uh just the way they sound, you know, back in back in school he got his hooks in a beautiful and clever girl who rightly hit the books because your looks don't last forever. I mean it's the storytelling. You know, this is the one that I was referring to earlier where, where, where you read the lyrics and then you hear how he wrapped his melody around it. And it's just like yeah. mind boggling the phrasing was, and was, everything. Um, even the, it was the other way around, right? I mean, he essentially had the music done in 97 and then he put it on the shelf and then he's like, well, I better, you know, warm it up and we can see what we can write to fit the music. And it just turned out to be this yeah. incredible story, like this mm-hmm. perfect tale. And maybe one of my favorite stories in the, in the Sloan catalog. Totally. And and again, these like climactic climactic moments in the songs on this album, the like, you know, years of past section, um, which obviously Gregory's all over that for oh, sure. So but, you know, acapella, so um, did, he adds that, that harmony, like the, the stepped up, she believes, you oh. know, like uh, I love, I love that so much. It's like, you wouldn't expect, uh, you wouldn't expect like an AM disco y kind of song to like get weirdly emotional, but like in mm-hmm. that section, you're just like, holy shit, like, oh, dude, this is a heartwarming tale. It's the part of the Sloan musical where everybody on stage puts their hands up in the air, you know, years have passed, you know, like, oh, it's just so fucking touching. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep hammering this Sloan musical thing down, you guys. Yeah, no, I'm believe me, talk to message me after we'll, we can, uh, we'll get some. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I love, and I love that it ends, uh, with the, it has the same intro and outro and, and the, you know, the mm-hmm. way that the last, the final notes, the ding, 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 ding. Um, it's so like it, it, this song could have been in, in, in lesser hands. This song could have been so cheesy mm-hmm. and somehow it's timeless, you know, yeah. like, that's so that's so hard to do. You know what's funny? You yeah. met, so I got to just interrupt and please hang on to your thought. Yeah. Lesser hands in this case would have been fucking actual Paul McCartney. You know what I mean? Like imagine like a 2011 McCartney trying to wrap his head around this track. Right. You know, right like right. it wouldn't have been this fantastic. It wouldn't have been by a long shot. That's sure. what I think every time I listen to Egypt Station. <laughs> um, <laughs> Denied. Oh, you. Come on. <laughs> All right. Next song. I got to know. I gotta know to go to go back to um, the the videos. Which if you if you haven't queued them up on your computer yet, what are you doing? Get them get them ready. It's every song on the album. It's the um, you know it it could it could potentially make this episode obsolete because it's Sloan talking about the album, and not us. But anyway, on in the in the EPK um, uh, or no, maybe it's just in the in the quote unquote episode for uh, your daddy will do. He, Chris talks about these three the this little three songs we talked about the first three being like a triptych well chris talks about he says like your daddy will do and beverly terrace are like the disco songs on the album and they they couldn't go back to back and he and Hmm. he he said he likes that they're separated by the antithesis of disco (laughs) yeah i mean like they were these three songs together in that always because of that <laughs> well, the the hardcore, uh, the seven inch, and then obviously the digital 
covers the, from our last episode that we mentioned, um, they're two years away still. But I mean, I feel like it's songs like this that kind of, I don't, I don't know we're necessarily in the inspiration, but this is definitely the direction. Um, mm. And uh, yeah. And when, on, on the Patrick episode, when he mentioned playing songs like this one in fuzzed out, cause he might not necessarily always have the opportunity in Sloan uh, certainly, you know, years after this album had come out, it's a bit of a deeper cut. That was kind of exciting to me. Like this one for sure is like the standout Patrick song for me, even above unkind. Like mm-hmm. when this one gets going and like, I know he's saying, I got to know like 500 times, but like the way that saying, I got it, I got to know, goes from the chorus back into the verse again. Like he's just saying that line again until it finds the the downbeat on the verse. I just love that mm. little trick, I guess. Um, this is just such an exciting little blast of a song for me. And again, it's like what? Like two minutes or something? It's like super minute short. 30. So yeah, it's a, it's a minute 30. <laughs> a buck yeah. 30. It's, uh, it's perfect. Insane, some insane background vocals on this too. Some mm. really like soaring yeah. For, yeah. A, for a punk kind of song like again similar to how um shadow of love is like this complex melodic punk song like same kind of deal and i've got to know with these soaring background vocals that you wouldn't um you wouldn't get from you know most punk band i'm trying to think like who you know buzzcocks maybe like but i don't even know if they have too many background vocals but like and even um, just speaking about vocal and vocal quality too, like by the time Patrick's like, you know, is it something that I can't see? You know, he's just really pushing his voice into that upper register and the other guys are hitting, you know, doing the backing vocal uh, with the song title. I mean, just, I love, again, coming back to the song musical, that'd be a great part. Yeah. <laughs> that back the, and forth. The, the continual repetition of I've got to know is also a, I think it's done pur- purposefully because it's also this anticipation of actually you know knowing something it's the beginning of a romantic relationship you're impatient you want to know if the person is reciprocating your feelings and that that's carried in in this track i would say i would say even like this isn't one of my favorites on the album but like re-listening in preparation for this episode i i i think about something that someone said in um in one of the the 20 years of sloan videos um they basically said like sloan Sloan always does things like you wouldn't expect. Like you think it's going to go, you know, G, D, G, C, D. It goes like G, C, D sharp or like some, like whatever the example the guy said. But like this song could easily fall into like the, uh, you know, the Blitzkrieg bop uh, chord progression, but it it doesn't. It's like Mm. kind of off off kilter kind of like chord chord progression and Mm. uh that that to me even even in like songs i don't love like there's still uh something interesting happening and i really like the insight you get into patrick and the way that he relates to other people like there's a maturity here like he's singing about somebody who he admits here you got a way of making me feel insane but i love his response i don't think that you do it on purpose like just giving the person you know the benefit of the doubt in this like rock and punk song it's just like great you know he's not just like shitting on mom and dad it's like this beautiful rapport with another person again coming back to the whole relational narrative of his songs on this record another relational narrative is coming right up (laughs) that's uh, right with beverly terrace and again storytelling extraordinaire on this one i mean it's for me it's the most some girlsy song in the sloan repertoire that that four on the floor 
Um, I love how he uses the single piano bass note throughout to complement the rhythm section, which is a J technique that we already heard on Don't You Believe a Word, which we've talked about earlier, but this boom, 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 boom. Um, yeah. Which you could argue which one is the more disco poppy track, but um, it's for sure, you know, the if you listen to the album for the first time, and I've had friends talk to me about this who aren't big Sloan fans, but who who have the albums and you know whatever. This is a standout. Like this is one that sticks in your head because the style is 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 so coherent because it's also distinct from what's happening in the rest of the album. Um, and it at this maybe at this period as well in 2011 with people revisiting stuff in the 70s and 80s and really bringing it into into a contemporary form. Um, it was also pertinent at the time. But one thing I do want to mention is how I love how he sneaks in down by the bay into the lyric sheet, which was <laughs> certainly one of my favorite kindergarten bangers. Um, <laughs> it's where it's where the watermelons grow. <laughs> I love it. And there's there's this little like again little cues from the production. There's a little tiny drum machine breakdown. You know what I'm talking about? I think totally. I do. Before a- he goes into yeah, you left behind. It's like a hand clap drum fill. It's it's basically that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I love that. Yeah. Um. Very like it, we talked about new territory for Andrew on she's slowing down again, and even though you know Jay has has done disco-y kind of stuff, um, I feel like this is new territory for him too in terms of like, in in terms of like synths and. Uh, the melding of, of synths and, and standard rock instrumentation. Hmm. Um, I love this song. I there's background vocals are, are so strong. And again, gotta, gotta imagine Gregory is, is involved there heavily. Um, great, like single tambourine hits that come in, like on the hmm. second verse, I think, you know, I want to make um, a quick distinction too. I mean, we keep referring to songs like this, and I mean, there are songs, you know, from you know, like between the bridges a little bit, where they, that feel very disco-y. I think it's a little more fair to say that these are sort of more like seventies R and B. You know what I mean? Like they kind of have more of like a boogie to them, or more of like a they're, right. they're more of a vibe. Like it's not really disco-y in the sense that like the Bee Gees are disco-y or something like that, or you know. Um, like ABBA or whatever, which I know, I and mean, the guys I, I know are huge Bee Gees and ABBA fans for sure. So nothing wrong with that necessarily. But to me, like you were mentioning Motown earlier, I think this these kind of songs, like Daddy will do in this one, definitely maybe owe a little bit more to. There may be more a, a mesh or a, a mixture of the two, maybe more so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my yeah. Impression. It's not as it's, it's it's not as sterile, you know. It's not right. um. It's not as unlistenable, it, frankly. You know what I mean? Like as some of the you know latter 70s disco stuff i guess it's not casey and the sunshine band is what i'm trying to say it's more like you know abba or like you know you know 70s r&b flavored no i agreed and plus you know what disco songs have this type of lyrical content you know like he drops he drops i think one of his maybe most iconic line you know what line i'm talking about here right he drops the sunscreen, sunscreen. Yeah, yeah, the sunscreen in the middle of winter to remind herself of summers that were kind lyric, <laughs> which is like how what what's a what's a better line to use to personify or to 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 emphasize the character that somebody has? Yeah. It's, it, it's his it's his ability to to 
talking about female characters in the song with using you know in, in an efficient way without having to write a thousand words he's doing it really in a compact uh and yet vivid way it's quite something to think about i mean obviously in 96 he's firing all, on all cylinders with like you know lines you a man and junior panthers and stuff like he's already an iconic song, songwriter at 26 years old you know um mm. but here we are in 2011 i mean they're already like the greatest band of all time you know a decade prior to this but um here we are in 2011 and the gigantic creative leap i mean they've all done this by this point but i mean jay especially you know you, you think of the mm. smeared songs and you know everything's great on twice removed and one core and whatnot but i mean that trajectory is just up 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 you know what i mean like it's that totally. Uh, that stock photo of like people in an office looking at a graph and it's just going up and up and up, you know, like that's the yeah. Jay Ferguson trajectory. Yeah. It's, exp it's exponential be. improvement. It's unreal. Yeah. So this song specifically is, I mean, obviously answer was you and green gardens are just like top notch untouchable, but this one, especially like you were saying, Ken, with the lyrical content as, as well to boot. Um, and while I'm on the subject, not if I could just mention as well, like he's definitely geographically singing about West Hollywood. Um, you know, he's talking about Beverly Terrace Hotel, uh, which is right across the street from the Troubadour, which the guys have played at multiple times. Um, they're about, you know, a 30 minute drive away from Hollywood and Vine, which is name checked. Um, so he's definitely, you know, painting a picture, painting the scene. It's, 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 it's geographically in this place. Hmm. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, uh, for me, one of the the things I look forward to the most in this song. I know what's already, coming here. An already great song out of nowhere. Here, here we come. <laughs> Shadow of Love is back. The melancholy yeah. is back. And not only not <laughs> only do not only do we get Murphy singing it, but I love that Jay sings it solo. Oh, this is fantastic! Yeah. It's Having them off. trade the vocal and Jay also sings "Living in the Shadow of Love." Oh, but you know what I mean, guys? It's you have this like literal liquid sunshine happening. Yeah, you know, and then and then oh, but don't get too optimistic, you know, because "Living in the Shadow of Love" is all some people can do. It's and it's important to keep a perspective in life. You know what I mean? Like you're th you're singing about this girl, and you're thinking about you know dreaming, and you know he's painted the picture of like you know a certain smell, maybe of the sun sunscreen or whatever takes him back to a memory or takes her there. Uh, but Chris, again, like he did on the previous song, he ju he jumps in in that West Side Story scene, and is just like a little helpful reminder. You know, like <laughs> life is about balance. So let's keep our head on straight. You know, <laughs> Chris uh, is, the, is the helpful friend. He's the sidekick. <laughs> I, I love that. It's I love that it's a reprise and it's not announced. You mm -hmm. have to listen to the album to know it. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band reprise where it's like, hey, we did a reprise. It's like, no, which I fucking love, obviously. Well, but like, it's this is no baked, magical mystery tour. This is baked into the <laughs> album, and and you know, it's like there's only so many bands who who can be like self refer referential like that, you know. Right. Um, right. And and it just it works, and I love. Uh, I feel like this song maybe maybe with the uh, maybe unkind is the one that is lasted the longest in their set but i feel like i've seen beverly terrace in the set like way after the double cross well they played shadow of love on the navy blues anniversary tour right right, right. on that set so you kind of have that. to have them and both in the set for that payoff yeah. you know like that's right <laughs> I think and i don't 
back at one point for the because they didn't do it on the album they wanted to do it live right right i was i had the exact same memory and i was actually going to ask you about that i have a recollection of those two songs being back to back like shadow of love going in beverly terrace and it being a very obvious one-two punch of like oh shit you know like how awesome was that moment you know and uh what how about the uh the fucking ending on Beverly Terrace, the the vocals. Uh, 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 oh, the cascading. Forever. Oh, unreal. Yeah. Production. <laughs> yep. Gregory McDonald. And it Ryan just sounds incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Um, should we tackle the next one, guys? I mean, uncharacteristic with, from my perspective, by Andrew Scott. You guys know me. I am top five Andrew Scott fans in the world. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> I would um, concur with that. In the top percentile, the, the, <laughs> I'm the top the, the top five percent nation. I just feel as though he's there was an idea here for sure that was it got lost in implementation. If that makes sense, there's a loop happening in the background, which is interesting. It's I, I'm I'm almost certain that that's actually a recorded loop, and it's not them playing live. Or there are elements of that that are a loop in the background. Um, it's the Hammond organ slash chicken picked guitar riff. I don't know, and it's the rhyming structure too. It's this, it's this very explicit last word in the line rhymes in every single case. So you have to find a word that fits into that rhyming scheme, and it does sound right. a little bit forced. <clears throat> and to be completely frank, it's just too long. It's just one chorus and one verse too long especially in contrast to the rest of the album, which is super spry and super, you know, these are like, like we said, three minutes or less. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is a, you know, this is a total disaster. It isn't, you know, I listen to it. I still, I don't skip any songs in the Sloan catalog. I just don't want, and I want Andrew to be Andrew. I want Andrew to use his singing voice. I want Andrew to, you know, trust his own musical instincts and not have to copy. And I feel as though this is like, there's so much like he's going after a very particular style here and it's not necessarily authentic to what he's able to do. I'm reminded of the scene in Almost Famous where Lester Bangs talks to William Miller's character and he's saying like, uh, oh, and you like Iggy Pop? And he goes, uh, you know, he's pretty good. He sh- he- he's He's trying too hard to be Bowie. He should just be himself. And I feel like the same could kind of be said for Andrew here. He's trying to be Dylan and he's having fun with being Dylan, but Andrew being himself, which is a, which is this cacophony of all these other influences kind of tied together is definitely more exciting. I would say for sure. Mm. I, I feel like, and again, we've been way off the mark on Andrew inspiration in terms of lyrical content. He confirmed that it doesn't mean anything. And, uh, but for this one, it, it has a highway 61 vibe for me, like not so much the original mm. recorded version, but like more when he became, when he kind of went full electric and it, the song actually really has the vibe, like the jank, gang, 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 of the way that Dylan and the band did Highway 61 live, you know, in years mm. after on tour. Mm, sure. um, very similar. And it would kind of ter- sometimes be like this 20 minute long jam, you know? Uh, and I feel like there are, that's maybe where the length kind of comes in here. And I, and I recall this song live being like pretty fun, like kind of riffing at the end where they're doing the gana, 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 gana. Sure. It's, it's and, 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 jam, and the turnaround song, right? Yeah. It's a jam the, song the, with some turnaround. Yeah. Of how that chord progression kind of comes out of nowhere. Like the turnaround isn't always the same in the same place. Do you know what I mean? Musically. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I might be way off, but I kind of get a highway 61 vibe. Nobody, nobody can do Dylan. Only Dylan can do Dylan. 
Sure. <laughs> That's the thing. Like nobody, it sounds, it sounds like, and I, I use this term in the hardcore episode. It sounds like vaudeville. Like it sounds like this is sort of like a, a variety version of Dylan, which I don't want to have on a Sloan album. Yeah. Right. Like kids bop, like when little kids perform songs by like <laughs> the Beatles and stuff. Young Abba. <laughs> I'll say this. I, I, agree, I pretty much agree with everything you guys have said about Traces. And I actually remember it live. I remember, I, I think I saw him twice on, on the on the Double Cross tour. And I remember live kind of thinking like, man, this is going on a little too long. Like, uh, <laughs> but like, but I, I will say this. I will say this. Um, Bob Dylan in 65 and 66 was as cool as you could be. Um, and Andrew's always as cool as you can be. So like even to hear to hear Andrew doing anything, he's still the fucking man. He's still cool doing it. Like some of the some of his phrasing in in the song is like just cool. Like I hate to he, call everything just cool, but he's just the fucking coolest. Like he's the, the, the he, fucking he, ultimate. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the I hate I'm keep cutting you off. I'm so sorry. And sorry to the no, listener who just keeps hearing me barge in. The no, ultimate no. fucking irony here is that Dylan would want to be as cool as actual Andrew Scott is. You know what I mean? Like Andrew Scott's kind of having fun being Dylan a little bit. He likes him. He's a big fan, but I mean like between those two guys, like the legit cool dude is fucking Andrew and Bob Dylan is this sort of like wafy little guy in the corner. The the difference, the difference is is that if for anybody who's seen Dylan live, I think there there's sort of in, in both Dylan and Andrew, there's a, I don't give a shit mentality, but Andrew has an, I get, I don't give a shit mentality backed up by actual talent yes, and backed yeah. up by actual like Dylan, Dylan is a poet right he's not a great musician mm-hmm. he's not a great singer he's he, like his you don't even hear his guitar live he's got the band you know so like Dylan live is a shit show Andrew live is a fucking sensation you oh, know so totally. he's a master that, that's that's the difference there um I don't want to shit on him. He's my man. I just hold him to a really high standard, you know, for, for obvious reasons. And I think he, he even admits it. In, if you go to the traces video for that, they made for the double cross, not, not music video, but the ones we've been referring mm-hmm. to throughout this episode, he even says like, yeah, I kind of just threw something together. Like he's, he clearly the, the, um, to me, this was definitely an effort to just get another Andrew song on the album. And uh, yeah, you have like look hit hit and run the bonus track the uh, get out of bed it's so great so great yeah. um, so I'll say this I Rubber Soul is still a top five album of all time for me and it has what goes on so like right <laughs> everybody's everybody's allowed uh, you know you you can you can whiff one time it's it's all you know the fact that there's you know like murphy always says it's a mutual fun you know you're you're if one guy's not pulling his weight you hope that somebody else pulls their weight double it's like that's that's why this is a a beautiful thing well and try to say that every episode (laughs) (laughs) we appreciate it yeah the the great the great thing is is that the closer to this album is nuts. Oh, like the dude. closer to this album is, it, it ages like fucking fine wine. I um, promised myself la- I wouldn't cry. Laying so low. Oh first God. of all, it's my favorite of the, of Chris's "Help Me, I'm Becoming Irrelevant" songs. Um, <laughs> it's for me. Like I know everybody loves fading into obscurity. I love fading into obscurity, but laying so low 
is so much more impactful. Like fading into obscurity feels like he's kind of reciting an autobiography, whereas laying so low is is it's touching on emotion. Like that is 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 coming from a place of emotion. It's just the composition, the the vocal melody, and how it's mirrored both on the keys and on bass and guitar. It's it's incredibly simple and singable. And it's retained throughout the song, which allows for, I think, more to go on behind that with the instrumentation and the vocals as the song builds. So you have this like incredible arc of tension that then gets like, you don't even know that it's ending when it's starting to end. And you wish that it would like, I just wish that he would throw in another chorus or something just to end it. And it, it, it like, it ends at a perfect place, obviously. But it's one of those songs that you want to go on forever, you know? Um, And and, uh, like, if you just listen to the emotion and the the range, like Chris doesn't usually, he has a great range vocally, but he usually um, displays that range across different songs. He's showing so much range within this song Mm -hmm. from the moment when he starts off in that soft voice to the very end when he's really not screaming but he's pouring emotion if you listen to how he sings that last line and listen to the juice that he pours into don't expect me to call when i'm laying so low i will not even attempt to sing it but you know what i'm talking about guys yes it's it didn't stand out to me the first time i heard the album but if you listen to the album 10 or 12 times it's like you're bawling by the end of the song this one gets me every time and and when i first heard it this is like we talked about with Greg on the hardcore episode, how on his show, he has a hot track, which I would love to adopt. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Um, this is my hot track, man. This is my pick on the record. It's my favorite. And similar to never hear the end of it in 2006, uh, another way I could do it. Murphy at the end of the record is my favorite song on that record too. So he's just coming in here at the end, at the end of the race to quote Jay, which is, the most the per, a perfect track, perfect song. Um, apparently, this was Patrick's chord progression that had been kind of laying around mm, for a while, right. yeah. and Chris picked it up and kind of wrote over that. Um, but in and there is a bit of a blueprint there, like you were saying earlier, Ken, in the "Help Me, I'm Becoming Irrelevant" vein. But lyrics like "With Your Daddy Will Do" and this song, I really get the impression that it's very autobiographical. Maybe not so specifically with "Daddy Will Do" because I think there's just kind of some funny lines in there. Um, but with this one. I don't know how true to life this is, but I mean, for me or somebody like going through like a relationship that's not, that's, that's a little strained. And I think at the time I definitely was in one where there was like a bit of a strain and there's like a bit of a, I don't, you don't know what's going to happen going forward kind of thing. This hits that feeling right on the head, you know, like that moment mm. of, of not really, of, of, of wanting to reach out to somebody and not, and kind of being open to accepting that you don't know how it's going to work out you know um but very emotional and the vocal is just absolutely heartbreaking again yeah this is one of his songs that's just like i think for me top five chris and probably my favorite of his more sort of melancholy somber songs and it's one that i'm glad you touched one of you guys touched on how simple it is but Mm -hmm. it's simple in a way that there's some songs that are simple and it's stupid and mindless but then there's songs that are so simple that you're like, how is this not a song already? Mm. Like this song is like, it's like this song should have been around for 50 years. Like it sounds this, eternal. So, yeah. This yeah. song is so classic. Immediately you're hearing it. You're like, this sounds like one of the all time songs, you know, like, um, 
it it just has you know there's a lot of through i mean listen you guys obviously know you know when you're getting into sloan or when you're hearing a new sloan album for the first time there's so many songs that are instant that makes that makes them you know there's some bands where i have to hear an album like five times for me to remember any of the songs sloan have the gift of instant songs which is like to me that's the highest standard that's the hardest thing to write it it's it's instant songs and you know there are so many on this album you know we're go we went through all the tracks but like you hear unkind one time you're just like okay i know how that goes yeah but you love yeah. so low is another example of that it's like it's so it's just it's perfect i mean and and it's you know I, I like that it's there's literally and he's Chris says it in in the Lang solo um, promotional video thing that we keep talking about you know it's he you rarely get you know uh, sentiment from him it there's usually it's usually laced with some sort of wordplay or or you know com- comic relief kind of thing even in so far so good off Commonwealth you know there's the you know the wire reference and stuff but this song is just purely right sentiment you know and it's yeah. and that's that's so you know everybody calls everything brave or whatever but yeah. um in, in a way it is i did want what? to mention one more thing kind of about Please, um if you and i'm so glad i remembered this uh if you google sloan the current mm-hmm. minnesota there is a three song performance and it's still, I thought for sure it would be offline by now, but it still exists. Um, the current, I guess is a radio station in Minnesota and Sloan appeared on it in this era and they perform. She's slowing down again, Beverly Terrace and an unbelievable rendition of laying so low with like mm-hmm. some crazy drum fills, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm like, over like drum fills that extend over the measure and i'm like man this is such a i wish they did this live more so guys check that out mm-hmm. um it's, it's that out. oh my god good, doc, good document of this of this era and a rare la- laying so low live performance yeah to cap this off with my final comment i was just noticing I, it's it's I, with this album i didn't really notice the album cover before um, but Chris kind of does the Paul thing where he'll kind of have something unique about himself. Like on Navy blues, mm-hmm. like he's the only guy with a full head, blah, blah, blah. Right. In this one, he's the only one facing in the opposite direction and his head's down, you know? And so mm-hmm. for me in my fantasy, he's writing links so low here out on right. a piece of paper. Uh, and it's just sort of an, an interesting visual. I'm sure it wasn't intended or whatever. That just happens to be the picture that they took or whatever. But there is an interesting like little speculation on my part there where this is sort of Chris's sort of, I don't know. It's like an introspective, visual of him kind yeah. of a representation yeah. i kind of th- I thought that was kind of neat but uh yeah i mean anyway. don't like don't yeah, sleep right. on like there's so much cool stuff and we've talked i love this episode i love our talk here totally uh, i i had a renaissance of this album listening to this album a few times in preparation for this episode because i will admittedly because of personal circumstances because of the fact that i wasn't in the country i slept on this album uh, I listened to it a lot when it first came out, and then I kind of put it down and didn't really go back to it that much. Um, don't sleep on the double cross. There's so much cool shit happening here. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're laying so low uh, <laughs> or if you got a showdown at Beverly Terrace. There's so much cool stuff that to to latch on to. It's tied together perfectly with a production style 
and with instrumentation that you don't see anywhere else in the catalog, which to me makes it a really unique statement at the 20-year mark in their career. They're still coming up with new, unique statements, which is nuts. It's 10 years on from that. You know, I don't know what to say about this band that I haven't said before, but yeah. like this epitomizes what makes this band special. And like you said earlier, it's a quick listen. So, I mean, if you haven't heard this one in a while, or if you've never heard it for some reason and you're listening to this, go pick it up. Listen to the whole thing. I don't have a recommendation per song. I would say listen to the whole fucking thing. It's, the record is near perfect and mm. um, super listenable. And like I said, just it's brief. You can just listen to the whole thing in one sitting. You won't um, be able. You won't be able to find a good spot to stop. You won't want to stop, especially because of the the nature of the first, at least the first three songs. Well, I will say, let's maybe that's a good place to to tie a bow on this album. Uh, thanks again, Aaron, for for joining us. This has been an amazing talk. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm sure when when the listener listens, they're going to understand why we always have you as a guest because it's oh, just the best insight. Your way, the way that you verbalize uh, the feelings about the songs and the band is just fantastic. So again, take, it's always a take pleasure. Our, take our level of fandom, add a notch, and then add some eloquence to it, and you've got Aaron Pinto. <laughs> oh come on! He, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a mirror to you guys. Come on. Well, it's a pleasure, man. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So just to kind of tie a bow on things here again, I will say that uh, Murph has got a, a a virtual show coming up October 24th, depending on when you hear this, 2021. Uh, tickets are available via Side Door Access, obviously, and Murph's uh, social media. Um, the guys are actually playing their first shows back uh, middle of September in Toronto. Super exciting. Um, so follow everybody on social media. They've all got link trees in each of their Instagram profiles with all kinds of cool content. Jay's out there DJing, and you can buy Andrew's artwork, and Patrick's got his page patreon which you got to subscribe to and murph is doing something every day on social media so uh, a lot of stuff to uh to check out so thanks again aaron and ken love chatting with sloan with you guys and listener we really hope that you enjoyed this one it's a special album this was a great episode and we will catch you all next time on sloan cast remember keep sloaning